system shock is like that girl you went to school with that was always giving you sass and trying to start a fist fight. You couldn't wait to be rid of her, but now you're in your 30s. And damn, those were the good old days. Kinda missed the attention. All this to say that System Shock is a bit of a bully and I didn't really click with it until I was about three levels in. But before we get into that, let's talk about what System Shock is about. Well, this is something of the cyberpunk ilk and you're a hacker. You hack into a corporation called Tri-Optimum only to find that you're not a very good hacker. Uh, because you immediately get caught and taken to Tri-Optimum headquarters where you're given the simple choice of turn off an AI's ethics module or die. So we do what every smart person does and turn off the ethics module to the very powerful AI. Good job. Except we get knocked out and wake up in Citadel Station. Now, if you were a super powerful AI with a disabled ethics module, where would you be? And if the answer was on a space station orbiting Saturn called Citadel, then you would be right. You soon learn that the crew is mostly slaughtered and or being assimilated by the AI named Shodan. From here on, the objective is quite self-explanatory. You, you just need to live. It's worth noting that the game doesn't tell you this outright, it's just the necessary course of action. Over time, radio transmissions from survivors, audio logs from dead crew, and the direct transmissions from Shodan herself will massage what that looks like, but System Shock never tells you where to go, what to do, or even mark anything on your map for you. And this is the crux of System Shock that gives it its unique identity. It is both intensely liberating and frustrating at the same time. It's very much like going to a new job and your boss says, I don't really know what I want from you, but I know that I want it. So get to work. And then he leaves. You weren't even shown where your desk is. And now you're nervously asking your coworkers where to sit, except most of them are dead. Uh, so you have to hope that they wrote it on a sticky in their final moments. That's not to say that Citadel Station is brutal from the word go, it's more that it takes time to learn how to learn the station and the systems, and this caterpillar moment is the frustrating part. No one likes feeling stupid or not being able to accomplish simple tasks. Fetch the relay cord from Alpha Quadrant, okay simple, except I can pick up anything and all these things are cords, and the game isn't going to play a chime when I pick it up, so I need to check every single one to make sure it is, in fact, the relay cord. Also, the door to Alpha Quadrant is locked, and I don't have a key. In saying this, there is a certain sense of satisfaction in finding that damn relay cord that you just don't get in many modern games, which kind of makes the bullying worth it. It's that fine line between pain and pleasure that the game tries to straddle, and I do believe it mostly achieves this goal. I know what you're thinking, dear listener, but Liv, you said games should be fun from the start, or within the first two hours. Well, I'm glad you've been listening because this is still true, and it will be the likely reason most people that own the game won't see it through to credits. It's likely that there are kind of three kinds of people that will stay long enough to see this game blossom. One is the person that played the original game in the 90s, and since it's such a faithful remake, then uh, you already know everything about the game. The other is the 30-year-old that refuses to be defeated by some bullshit Peggy 12 game for kids. And the last is the kind of person that really gets enraptured in System Shock's world and marvels at the details. 
This might be a good time to talk about the details. The original System Shock came out late 1994, just before the release of the movie Hackers in 1995. If you've ever seen that movie, you'll realize that the media construct of what a hacker was, was, well, ludicrous. Virtual reality personifications of file management, leather gloves with circuits in the fingertips, giant ribbon cables, clunky circuit boards, and remember that it's two years before the release of Nintendo 64, so think of the size of the components in that thing and extrapolate to an entire space station, and we're getting close to what System Shock kind of looks like. The components kind of make sense, but they are much larger in scale than you would imagine from a 2023 perspective. There's also this hyperfixation on RGB. I remember realizing how ridiculous it was when I stepped into a radiation treatment machine with three lasers rotating around my body in red, blue, and green. I couldn't help to chuckle. The graphic art style he used here also kind of accentuates this blocky nature of the design. There is an incredible attention to detail from afar that makes you think that this could be a AAA game with too many colors, but then you get close and the details pixelate and you think to yourself, you know what, never mind, this is an indie game. Even the pixels are enlarged to remind you that this is a product from 1994. I'm stuck on how I feel about this. When you embark on a remake, you always lose in some regard. There's one camp that basically wants everything to remain exactly as it was, with better platform support and cleaner visuals and sound. In the other camp, you have people that have no attachment to the source material and are confused by some of the holdovers. System Shock leans more toward being a faithful remake, and I'm old enough where I get it, and I love this world, in the same way train people like standing in train stations for hours, but not everyone is obsessed with trains, and I can imagine there's a younger audience here that are totally lost. The world detail also hinders gameplay in many respects, mostly in the sense of clutter. What is the difference between a button and a random LED? Four hours of gameplay. That's the difference, and until you figure it out, Best just click on the LED like an idiot, just in case you end up making more of an ass of yourself down the line. Oh look, I made it past a thousand words without regurgitating immersive sim onto the page like an internet lemming. But while we're on the subject of getting lost for several hours looking for a button, we may as well discuss the ugly hippo in the room. I don't like the term immersive sim, just another of many unhelpful word salad genre tags that we gamers have made up to separate our game from the bad ones. System Shock is very simply a first-person RPG. First person explains your perspective, and you are role-playing a hacker that has woken up on a space station that is taken over by a rogue AI. But live, I hear you cry out in the tone of Reddit. RPGs have stats, and your stats are altered as you progress through the game and make choices just like in tabletop RPGs of old. Well, the problem is that you don't play Dungeons & Dragons and your frame of reference is Destiny 2. If you did play Dungeons & Dragons, you would realize that those stats and attributes were a way to create a fair framework for players to express skill and creativity within the limits of pen and paper. The spirit of a role-playing game has always been to pretend to be something you cannot be, and altering that experience through creative choices and player skill. And yes, you can often choose which role you're going to play, but often you cannot. For example, The Witcher 3. But I digress. 
The point is that System Shock is a role-playing game and you play from the first-person perspective and the game aims to be diegetic in its approach. Essentially, you have health, power, cybernetic augments, and whatever is in your inventory. If you can see a map on your HUD, it's because you plugged a cybernetic nav augment in your head. If there is a gap you can't jump, then you can route power to your anti-grav boots, but be careful because power is finite unless you have a spare battery. See that packet of chips on the table? Well, you can pick it up, learn that it has 247 calories. You can eat the chips and heal for 10 health, and then the empty wrapper persists in your inventory until you throw it on the ground. If you come back down the elevator five hours later, the wrapper will still be there and you can pick it up and take it to a recycling station and vaporize it and get absolutely nothing for it. But the important part is that the game still lets you do it. System Shock really excels at player choice, which is counterbalanced by Shodan and her choice to end you and, well, everyone. Sort of. It's true that Hell hath no wrath like a woman scorned, which is why I think Shodan's choice to speak as a creepy, stuttering, controlling ex-girlfriend that joined a cult really sticks in your mind. Shodan is really the star of the show and links back to what I said in the intro because what is unique to System Shock is that Citadel Station is simultaneously the dungeon and final boss encounter all in one. Citadel is the body of Shodan. It's a twisted and messy labyrinth that seeks to frustrate you at every turn. At one point, I picked up an audiologue that stated that Tri-Optimum purposely designed the station to be a stressful environment so they could study humans under duress. You know that door that won't open? Well, that's because Shodan routed the power from that door so you can't stop her. And when you finally jump through all the hoops and get the door open, she will call you, chastise you, proclaim herself a god, and call you an insignificant insect. Just like my ex. If Capcom made this game, there would be so much Step On Me Mommy Rule 34 that Shodan would be birthed into our reality, like the debauchery of the Dark Elves birthed Slanesh in the Warhammer 40k universe. In the same way that we are now learning that all terrible things in AAA gaming can be traced back to Bobby Kotick, you will learn that all these unfortunate coincidences that frustrate you are Shodan making moves to stop you. This is the turning point that most gamers need to get to before the frustration turns to challenge. You want to get back at the bitch, and hearing her get mad in denial of being mad is like pouring honey directly into your ears. We've been talking a lot about doors and cables, but that's not all that Shodan will throw at you. Every god needs worshippers, and in Shodan's case, she has decided to assimilate the crew via both a pathogen and cyborg integration. This ends up with an absolute circus of enemies ranging from zombies to cleaning bots, gorilla tiger hybrids to military grade security droids. I can only describe the variety as 90s. Like the RGB lights and the circuitry everywhere, there's a certain lack of cohesion that is a bit jarring. One moment you're fighting something that looks like your mom's old vacuum cleaner with arms, and the next there is a hairless bat raptor descending on you. I can't help thinking that I'm sometimes playing two different games, especially when I encounter both at the same time. And don't get me started on the soccer ball sized viruses that start attacking you in the research level. 
Unfortunately, the problems don't stop there because the guns in System Shock are pretty cool, but good guns need badass enemies. And even if you can jive with the 90s, the gameplay of fighting the enemies hasn't really progressed, which I'd argue is probably an important aspect to update considering how enemy AI in Halo kind of changed expectations forever. Ironic that the failure of the game about a rogue AI is the AI of the enemies being controlled by said rogue AI. Early game combat relies on melee in the form of a lead pipe. Sadly, the loopers swing, then back up, while they swing, then move in and swing. I will forever dunk on melee in first person until devs get the point. Go play Vermintide 2, and if you can't do that, then figure it out. Malay is functional but uninteresting, even when you get the laser rapier. The impact and visceral nature of melee combat is not conveyed in the same way that the eviscerated crew in the body bags on the floor would suggest. Guns fare a bit better when it comes to a sense of impact, but the whole affair always devolves into holding a doorway or corridor intersection, peeking the corner for a couple of shots and then waiting for the enemies to unload their clips into a wall. Most cyborgs and robot enemies don't move when they shoot, and if they do, they lurch slowly, which is just as well because they don't miss, and you can't really dodge or dash to avoid damage in an open space. It's somewhat disappointing that the game that goes out of its way to give the player so many choices omits those choices when it comes to combat. I can't help but to think that the devs held a little too close to the original in this sense. I will say that the guns look good, they sound awesome, and it's really cool that you can buy upgrades and these upgrades are visually represented on the weapon. But all of this wow factor is a little squandered by the receiving end being a little half-hearted and playing their role. Well, we're on the topic of failures, let's talk about the VR hacking sections. I never want to play these. 1994 Descent was a big game at the time and it clearly had an influence. This is like the mandatory 15 seconds of rap in every K-pop song. Essentially, you are put in this green and black wireframe hellscape where you fly around shooting polygon viruses and insects. It's an improvement over the original, but when we're discussing the topic of attaching our balls to a car battery with alligator clips, we really don't need to talk about ergonomics of the handles. Okay, the VR sucks, but the rerouting of circuit boards is great. I think out of all the first-person RPGs I've played, I think these are my favorite puzzles. There are a few different kinds, but they are all good and they make you feel smart when you finally plug in the right connecting lead and hit that right voltage. They are complicated and varied enough to be a challenge, but simple enough that you can figure it out without resorting to a wiki. The long and the short is that the most exciting aspect of the game is learning the locations within Citadel Station and mastering the station itself in opposition to Shodan. The combat is decent, but it's really let down by Night Dive choosing not to update the combat loop. Puzzles that are not VR are excellent and well worth the time to learn how they work. Let's talk about the sound design. Shodan can read me bedtime stories any day. I love that mixture of Venom and digital auto-tune. Come to think of it, I think Shodan probably birthed the idea of GLaDOS from Portal. It's good that Shodan is interesting to listen to because you'll be hearing a lot from her. The dead crew are no slouches either. The voice acting in the audio logs is superb and really sells the desperation of their situation right before their untimely deaths. It's so compelling that I wish I could play the game as the Resistance trying to thwart Shodan at the beginning of the take. Over. By the way, this is your once a month PSA on how a game from 1994 can make audio logs play without pausing the game, while Callisto Protocol is still trying to figure this out in 2023. 
I listened to the voices of the cyborgs in the original game. This is one area where they probably should have held closer to the original. They were a lot more audible and scary. This does show itself more in the engineering level where you get more of a chance to listen to what they're saying. It's not uncommon for a cyborg to revert back to their human consciousness for a moment and realize their horrific predicament before Shodan wrests control away from them again. Music is more or less what you would expect from a cyberpunk universe. It's mostly synthwave mixed with drum and bass, which rises with combat and then fades to the background as you skulk around Citadel. Throne Room of God is my favorite track. I recommend searching that one up, though I would say that the soundtrack aims mostly to stay in the supporting role rather than taking center stage. We haven't talked about boss fights yet. I alluded to this before, the entire station is the real boss of the game, but if we're talking about solving our problems with violence, well, there is one of the crew that tries to cozy up to Shodan uh, to curry favor with her until Shodan manipulates him into becoming her cyborg champion. You fight Diego twice, he and he has a South African accent, I'm South African. I don't like how often South Africans are pitted as the bad guy role because I think it plays into this whole perpetual narrative that white South Africans are inherently evil because of apartheid. I know very few people think about this, but I think about it. Um, how many protagonists have a South African accent in a video game? That's right, pretty much just mercs and megalomaniacs. Nevertheless, that's one sexy accent, and he sells it. These fights play out the same way fighting any enemy in the game does. Be behind something when they are shooting, shoot them when they are not shooting, don't let them touch you. If you have EMP grenades, you can trivialize the encounter by simply turning them off for a while. This is the recipe for the other boss encounter, which are Cortex Reavers. Cortex Reavers are badass four-legged mechs that lower their body into the head of their victim and assimilate them with their body dangling from their undercarriage. I highly advise letting one kill you at least once so you can see the animation. These have a great fantasy attached to them and make your skin crawl. I'll never forget the first time I got assimilated and Shodan delivers the line, Do you believe in a soul hacker? Let's find out together. But, as I said, you fight these multiple times and the formula is the same for all of them. This is an aspect that almost all first person RPGs struggle with. Bioshock and Deus Ex Human Revolution also have this problem. You can't really make a boss encounter to suit the breadth of player choice, so they devolve into the lowest common denominator. Shodan herself is somewhat better because the encounters test your preparation through a gauntlet scenario. But the whole thing takes place in a radiation filled environment and I just kind of find those stat checks annoying because you take damage no matter what and you have to mitigate them with consumables. I personally just wish that there was an option to somehow turn off the radiation or completely nullify it with the proper course of action. Alas, it's still a better test of what you have learned on Citadel than the other encounters. Sadly, this all culminates in a VR segment. Refer to my points on VR segments. While this is a little different, it's still unfun. It makes the same mistake that every sci-fi first-person RPG makes. The end boss fight is always the final reminder of the limitation of the genre rather than being the highlight. Let me know if you find one out there that pulls it off. So, is the System Shock remake a good game? Well, like Miley Cyrus said, the journey is the part that you remember anyways. You're not going to remember the mediocre boss fights or the VR segments. What you are going to know 
is every nook and cranny of Citadel Station and how it works, like the back of your hand. You're probably going to be able to get a job there now if it still existed. The other thing that you're going to remember is Shodan and the bitter rivalry you develop over the course of the game, the tit-for-tat nature of it. I was almost sad that it ended. It's certainly not for everyone because it does make you feel a little stupid at the beginning, but I'm certainly excited for the possibility of Night Dive taking a crack at System Shock 2 sometime in the future, though there are no current announcements at the minute. Gun to my head and it's a Magnum 2100, I give System Shock Remake a 7 out of 10.